Thank you for checking out our sermon here at New Grace. We are excited that you came across this message and are tuning in. It is our prayer that it is a blessing to you. We just want to make you aware of a couple things before we get to the message. First, we would love to connect with you. You can find us on Facebook at New Grace BC. Also, be sure to check out our website, reachingroanoke.com. There, you can find out more about who we are and where we are going as a church. Again, thank you for checking out our sermon here at New Grace. Please let us know of any questions you may have or any way that we can help you and your family. Enjoy the message. Now, of course, in Hebrews 13, we are at the final chapter of the book of Hebrews. Now, as we said last week, when the Bible was first given to man, there were no chapter and verse delineations. There was no Hebrews 13, 1 through 3. It was just the, the letter to the church of the Hebrews. And so there were no chapter variations. Man put those in. And so sometimes you got to remember that because sometimes one chapter ends, the next chapter picks right up where it be- And we kind of forget that it's a continuation of a thought. But this was just one long letter. So what we're reading here is the conclusion that God wants to get up, get across. He's, he's preached his sermon, he's given his warnings, he's given his truth, and now he is saying, here are the things that I need you to take away to help live a practical Christian life. Because remember, the group he's writing to, they're struggling in their faith. They've had uh, persecution come to them. They're, they're dealing with doubt. And, you know, a lot of, we as American Christians, we don't deal with persecution like they do in other countries. I was reading this week, there are 82 uh, groups of Christians throughout the world that are persecuted for their faith. And so we're not persecuted like other Christians today are. But if we're honest, there's sometimes we doubt. There's sometimes we, we doubt what we believe. Maybe it's, you know, we're going through a trial. And we know the Bible says it's all going to work together for good. We know God's never going to leave us, never forsake us. We know that God's got everything. We know that God's sovereign. It's all in his control. But we doubt that God really cares about us because why would he allow these things to, go, to happen to us? Sometimes our faith is just hard. There are things in the Christian faith when you really start diving into doctrine, there are some hard things to understand and believe and wrap your brain around. And so that's what these Hebrews are dealing with. And so throughout the book, the writer has been telling them that Jesus is better than anything they've been pursuing in life. Any any relationship, any job, anything they've tried to find their security and their stability in, Jesus is better than all of it. And so in chapter 13, he's really what he is telling them is how to live a life of practical Christianity where you are constantly growing in your walk with God. And we need to understand that's something we all need to be doing. All of us, all the time, need to constantly grow in our walk with God. You will never arrive where you become the perfect Christian and you don't need to read your Bible more. You don't need to learn about God more. You don't need to pray more until you stop taking your, until you take your last breath and see Jesus Christ face to face. When you see Jesus himself, you've arrived. But until then, we all need to continue to grow in our Christianity. And too many Christians, especially American Christians, we get comfortable we get comfortable because we're going to church, we're looking the part, we're singing the songs, we're, we're doing the right things, we've got the bumper stickers, we've got Spirit FM, we've got all the things in place, and so we feel very Christian, and we feel very good, and so we, we don't really grow in our relationship with God, we become stagnant. And once after a while, once you stop growing, you're going to start going back. That's why sometimes you see Christians who 
Years ago, you saw them. They were in church. They were faithful. They sung the songs. They were deacons. They were preachers sometimes. They were just, they were on fire for God. You see them five, ten years later in there. They're not even in church. They're not going anywhere. They're living, they're doing things. It's like, they would have never, I would have never imagined that they would live that life. What happened? They stopped growing in their walk with God. And eventually started getting cold on God and eventually started going backwards. So he's given us some final words about how we can continue to grow in our relationship with God and our walk with God and, and continue to draw closer to God. And so here's what, the, what he's telling us. The first thing he tells us to do is in Hebrews chapter 13, starting verse 1, he says, if you want to grow in your walk with God, if you want to continue to be a practical Christian, if you want to be, have the type of faith that people want to emulate, the type of faith that people can look to and say, hey, that's the type of faith I want to have. That's the type of marriage I want to have. That's the type of parent I want to be. Here's the first thing he says. First thing we've got to do is, number one, practice hospitality. Look at verse number one. Let brotherly love continue. That means there had to be brotherly love there to begin with. Amen? So let brotherly love continue. That's, that's those who are in the church. He goes, you want to have a faith people want to emulate, a faith that can grow, a faith that can do something. You need to love the brothers and sisters in Christ that are in your church. That's obvious, but unfortunately it's not done enough in today's church. It says, but let brotherly love continue. Be not forgetful to entertain strangers. Those are those who are outside the church. Uh, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember them that are in bonds as bound with them and with and them which suffer adversity as being yourselves also in the body. Those are those believers who are suffering persecution. So he says right here, he goes, you need to practice hospitality to three groups of people. Those you worship with, those you live with, and those you don't even know, but who are suffering for the cause of Christ. Now, a lot of churches, they're great at loving each other, but terrible about loving the community. They get together on Sunday morning, and it's a great family affair, and they love each other and care for each other and help each other, but they don't reach out into the community they live in to help those people. Somebody walks in off the street that they don't know, and it's like, what are you doing here? You weren't invited. So they're great at loving each other, but they're terrible at helping the community. Other churches, they're great at reaching out in the community. They're doing car washes. They're doing oil changes for single moms. They're doing all kinds of stuff, and they're reaching out in the community. They're helping the community. They're loving the community. They're inviting the community in. But in the church, there's bickering and fighting and backbiting and strife and turmoil. And neither one of those things are what help us grow our faith or what give us faith that the outside world wants to look at and say, that's what I want to be like. He says you need to love those who are in your church, who are in your family, but also care for those who are outside. And like in verse number three, verse number two, <clears throat> be not forgetful to entertain strangers, for some have entertained angels unawares. This happened two times in Scripture. It happened, first of all, in Genesis chapter 18. Abraham, of course, he's left the Ur of the Chaldees. He's gone to follow God to a land God showed him, and he's waiting on the promise of God. And one day he's out at his tent, he looks up, and three men come to visit him. And he looks at those three men and he, he sees them coming. He says, hey, let's, let's prepare a meal for them. He doesn't know who these guys are. He doesn't know what's going on, but he, he prepares a meal for them. They, they have some, some food. They have some drink. They go in the shade. They're, he's entertaining them. Well, it turns out two of those men were angels of God and the third one was God himself. 
And so Abraham got to fellowship with God for a while and spend time with God. But imagine if when he saw those men come and he thought, ah, well, they're just strangers, they can go on their own. And he missed up the opportunity to fellowship with the Lord. Second time it happened, it happened in Matthew chapter 25. Of course, Jesus has been crucified, he's risen again. And there are two disciples who are leaving Jerusalem. They're walking to Emmaus. It's about a seven-mile walk. And so as they're walking, they're, they're talking about the events of the, the previous week, how Jesus had been arrested, he'd been crucified, he'd been buried, and then his body was gone. And so they're kind of debating whether this really happened. Like, well, the women saw it and the men saw it. When there. We don't know what really happened to his body. No one's really seen him. And so they're kind of talking about these events when, when a man comes up and starts talking to him. He says, what are you talking about? And like, what do you mean what are we talking about? We're talking about what happened in Jerusalem. And he's like, what? I've been out of town. I don't know. Why don't you tell me what's going on? And so they start telling him about the events of the crucifixion of Christ and how these women went to the grave to, to anoint his body and his body was gone. And they're, they're almost debating whether it really happened. They're like, his body wasn't there. Peter didn't see it, but we don't, we, we don't know. Maybe someone took it. Maybe, maybe Pilate uh, took it away before someone could find it or Herod didn't really move it there. We don't, we don't know what happened, but you know, the, these women went, and you know how women can be. So we don't really trust them. So we sent Peter, and he didn't. But you know, Peter, he's kind of a hothead. We can't trust him anyway. So they're kind of debating whether these things happen. And Jesus, the man that was with them was Jesus. They didn't know it, though. Their eyes were, were darkened to who he was to them. He was just a regular guy. And so this, this man starts explaining to them from Genesis all the way through the Old Testament the prophecies concerning the Messiah and showing how Jesus fulfilled them. And then when they come into the their journey, their eyes are open. They realize it's Jesus, and then he, he goes away. So two times in the Scripture, people have had the opportunity to be with God when they didn't know it was God. Now, the writer's not saying this happens all the time, but you don't know. What happens is we have the opportunity to not really love on God himself, but love on people for God. You know, it talks about in verse 3 where he says, those who are persecuted, love on them. See what he's saying? Again, in, in Matthew, Jesus said, hey, when, when I was thirsty, you gave me water. When I was hungry, you gave me food. When I was tired, you gave me a place to sleep. When I, was, when I needed clothes, and these people are like, Gee, when, when did we do that? We don't remember buying you a, a Happy Meal. We don't remember giving you a drink of water. We don't remember doing any of that. And he says, when you've done it to the least of these, you've done it to me. So when we practice hospitality in the church, first thing we're doing is we're showing the love of God to those that, that we're to worship with. And Jesus said, that's a mark of Christianity. He goes, men will know you're my, my disciples for your love for one another. If we can't love each other, we're not showing true biblical Christianity. We're not showing we're true followers of Christ because Jesus, yes, he loved all of his disciples, but remember, he even loved Judas. And Judas was the betrayer. Judas betrayed him with the kiss, and, and Jesus loved him. Jesus didn't hate him. He wasn't like, oh, that wrecked you. I can't wait till we get him in hell. Jesus loved Judas. It broke the heart of Christ that Judas rejected him. He knew he was going to, but it still broke his heart because he loved him. He goes, a mark of true Christianity is you love those in the church, but you also love those outside the church, and we show hospitality to them because as we're, we're caring for them, as we're giving a cup of cold water, as we're encouraging them, as we're helping them, we are doing it to Jesus himself. So people are like, well, how do you, how do you love on a God you can't see? You love on the people you can 
You love on those you can get to. The people with flesh and blood, you love on them. And as we love on them, we're loving on God. So how do we have practical Christianity? Well, first of all, we practice hospitality. Second thing he said is, number two, avoid immorality. Verse 4, marriage is honorable in all, and the bed undefiled. But whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. Now, whoremongers and adulterers are two different groups of people. Of course, adulterers are those who are married, and they commit sexual sin. They step outside the bonds of marriage and have, uh, have relations with someone who's not their husband or their wife. And Jesus said, God said here, the marriage bed is undefiled. You, you know, between a husband and a wife, I'll be, you know, between a, whatever happens between a husband and a wife and the marriage bed, that's their business and no one else's. It's undefiled. It's honorable according to God. But when someone steps outside of that marriage bed, God says, I'm going to judge them. Now, look, if you're saved, and I've known believers who they've been saved, they're saved, they're going to heaven, and they commit adultery, and God's going to send them to hell? No. But, you know, the Bible says in Psalms that the, or Proverbs, the adulterer receives a mark, something that they're always going to be known for. Well, yeah, he's, he's, they've been married for, you know, 25, 30 years, but, you know, 10 years ago, he stepped out on her. They reconciled, but it's like David and Bathsheba. You know, David, the greatest king in Israel's history, every king is judged by David. David was the gold standard. Every king that came after David was judged by him. He loved the Lord as did David, or he, he didn't love the Lord as David did. So every king was, was judged by him, and he's had great victories. He brought the nations back together. He got out all the enemies of God. He was David and Goliath, and great, incredible victories. But he's known for David and Bathsheba. It's one sin. That we all, now, what is one? But the one we all remember is big one. And God says, you need to, as a child of God, as a husband or wife, we need to make sure we are keeping ourselves pure for our spouses. Look, that, that, that's not just physical relationships. Some of us, we need to get rid of our computers and our smartphones. We need to keep our minds pure because we can rationalize. Well, if I'm looking at pornography, it's not really adultery. Because I'm not doing anything physically. Well, Jesus said, you look at a woman to lust, you've already committed adultery within your heart. So Jesus said, you know, if you, if you even think about doing it, it's just as bad as doing it. You know, I had a teenager one time when I was a youth pastor, I told him that. He goes, well, if I think it, I might as well just do it then. Like, no! That's not the lesson I'm trying to teach here. We need to keep our mind. But then he says whoremonger. So whoremonger is just that word pornea. It means fornication. Of course, we get our English word pornography from that. But it's any sexual sin done by someone who's not married. God says, if you want to have true faith that grows, a faith that people want to emulate, you need to keep yourself holy. Because Jesus said, be holy for I am holy. You know, sometimes when we people, there are churches that talk about grace so much, we're under grace and God's forgiven all of our sins, that they, they almost give a license to do whatever you want to do. Well, you're under grace, you can do what you want to do. Jesus died for all your sins, you can do whatever you want to do. They're already forgiven, you can live any way you want to live. Yes, all my sins are forgiven, but I've also got the command, because these are commands, they're not suggestions, they're commands. I've also got the command, hey, Jesus said, I'm holy, so you better try as hard as you can to be like me. Now look, I can't do it on my own. And I'm the first to admit, I am far from holiness of Jesus. Every day, I mess up. Sometimes, multiple times a day. Sometimes before noon. It just, and you know what? So do you. 
Because we're flesh. And it's not like, oh, well, I blew it today. You know, it's not like dieting. You know, me and April, we always joke, and it's true. You know, we'll, we'll say, all right, Monday, we're going to eat good. We're going to start exercise. We're going to go to the gym more regular. We're going to eat healthy. And then, you know, Monday, we, eat, we do real good Monday during the day. But then Monday night comes, and we're tired, and we're laying around, and you're like, you know what would be good right now? Doritos. And so we eat a bag of Doritos and have a Coke, and we're like, oh, well, blew it. Might as well just forget the rest of the week. That's not how sin is. When we mess up, it's not like, oh, well, it's, oh, no. I need to confess my sin. Because he says if we confess it, and confess it isn't just, Lord, forgive me because I messed up. Forget Confession is, God, I've sinned against you. You are holy. I am not. You are right. I am wrong. It's agreeing that you have sinned. And then pledging and saying, God, with your help, I won't do it again. If we confess that he's faithful and just to forgive us, but he goes, you want to have practical Christianity, Christianity that people want to emulate, practice hospitality, avoid immorality. And thirdly, I'm not, it's not up there, I've got the wrong one up there, flee materialism. Look at verse number five. Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. He's saying, if you want to have Christianity that grows, be happy with what God has blessed you with. See, the point, the problem with contentment, with discontentment, with saying, man, I wish I had a bigger house, wish I had a better car, wish I had a better wife, wish I had a better, wish I had more, wish I had... And we're, we, we start longing for things that other people have because we wish that we had it. Is we're looking at God and saying, God, you haven't been good enough to me. Lord, you gave them that good job, but here I am and I don't have the job I want. Lord, you gave them health and I'm struggling with my health. Lord, that's not, that's not fair to me. <coughs> See, it goes good with their notes, all right? What, it, what discontentment is doing is saying, God, you're not good enough. Go look at that verse again. Let your conversation be without covetousness. Be content with what things that you have. Colon, for he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. What the Bible's saying here is if you have God, you have everything you need. And everything you have right now is what God knows you need to have. Well, I need a bigger house. No, you don't. Because if you needed a bigger house, you'd have a bigger house. Well, I need a better job. No, you don't. You may want a better job, but it's being content and looking at your life and saying, God, what I have, where I'm at in life, what I'm dealing with, the pain, the hurt, whatever it is, God, I have you, so I'm content. Then he continues on. Verse 6. For so we may say, the Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. If you've got God, you've got everything you need, and you've got the greatest protector in the world. You've got your heavenly Father watching over you. We need nothing else. Fourth thing is honor the church. That's in verses 7 through 19. Remember them which have to rule over you, who have spoken unto you and the word of God, whose faith follow concerning the end of their conversation, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Be not carried out without divers or strange doctrines, for it is a good thing that the heart is established with grace, not with meats, which have not uh, profited them that have been occupied therein. And because they're standing outside, I won't read the rest of the thing. Read it when you get home. Here's what he says. Honor the church. Pray for your pastor, please. Pray for the leaders. Be faithful to the church. Be faithful to serve in the church. 
and be faithful to give to the church. And if we do these four things, we practice hospitality to those in the church and those out of the church, we avoid immorality, we flee materialism, and we honor the church, we will have the foundation for a faith that can grow no matter what we're facing in our life.